Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. My name is Jeremy. I'm the youth pastor here at Stonebridge. If you're watching with us online, we're thankful that y'all are with us today. I do think as they're walking out, there needs to be a little bit of clarification on on who I am, I was uh, a few months ago, I was hanging out in the youth room before Bible study. A lady was walking in. She was looking for her um, small group. She walks in the youth room. She goes, hey, is this the kitchen? I said, no. She said, who are you? I said, I'm the youth pastor. She goes, oh, is that a volunteer position? I said, no, I'm, I'm on staff. And she said, oh, I've never really seen you do anything. <laughs> so this is me doing something. Uh, <laughs> that was... That was humbling. Uh, so we've been walking through Psalm 23 for the last two weeks. David has walked us through a good portion of this. We're using that book by Keller. A shepherd looks at Psalm 23 as a reference point. I'd encourage you to get that uh, and read that. It's, re it's a really, really good book and an easy read. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff in that to unpack. Um, but David Eldridge, I probably need to clarify. We'll talk about David Eldridge and King David. So don't get confused with those two. Um, <laughs> But this psalm is taking us through the year in the life of a shepherd and his sheep, right? It's walking us through all the processes that occur. And David started with the fundamental that we're looking for is that the Lord is my shepherd. So these first three weeks of, the, of 2023, what we want to articulate is that Jesus is our shepherd. And we want to start the year with that being at the forefront of our mind and our hearts so that when August gets here and we're tired and we're starting back to school and all the stress of everything that's going on in our lives come back to us, we can lean on the fact that the Lord is our shepherd. And that's the purpose of looking at this. And over the last few weeks, David Eldridge has walked us through what it looks like to follow this good shepherd through the valley of the shadow of death and by still waters, and we learn what his, what his rod and his staff are for, the comfort that comes along with that. And today, we're going to look at the last two verses, verses five and six. But I want to, I think this is a powerful psalm. If you were just to say, the Lord is my shepherd, surely I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that would have been enough. Right, that's a powerful statement just in itself. And so I love how the author gives us these multiple bullet points of proof that the shepherd is a good shepherd. And that's what we're going to look at, two of those today in verses 5 and 6. But as I was preparing for this, one of the things that jumped out at me about the whole passage is that this is a passage, this is a psalm about spiritual warfare, at least for me. And that's not a topic that I've always been comfortable talking about. It kind of made me feel weird sometimes to even mention that. But I think it's important that we address it because if we're going to be honest and truthful about where we are and where we live right now, we're under attack by a real enemy. In Western Christianity, we've, like, we've, we've explained away the enemy a lot of times, and we've, we've chalked it up to other things that are going on, coincidence and actions and consequences of actions. But I want you to just remember, not in a way to scare you or create fear, but just in a place of awareness that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and he's still trying to do that. It's interesting to think that he's lost a war, but his, his tactic at this point is, how many people can I take down with me before it's all over with? And that's what he's doing in the world now. And this psalm, I think, prepares us and protects us 
from those attacks as long as we're following the shepherd. So I'm going to read this. I'm going to read it the whole way through. And again, our focus are going to be, this morning is going to be verses 5 and 6. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley, excuse me, I was going to old school. Even though I walk through the, valley, the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. If you're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So these sheep are following the shepherd, right? And David made it, I love last week's sermon. He's talking about moving through this dark valley. He's like, our tendency is to power through and run through it, and we leave the shepherd behind, or we tend to sit still and wallow in our misery, and we fall behind the shepherd, right? This morning, what we want to look at is how do we walk in step and follow him? How do we know that we can trust him? And one of the ways we know this is that he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. When I first looked at that, I was like, oh, we get to taunt Satan at this point. Like, we got an enemy, we get to taunt him for a little bit. Like, look at me, this is good, you can't have any type of mentality. But that's not it at all. Because as I was reading this book, that book by Keller, two things. One, I have learned to understand what a good shepherd is and what the good shepherd does. Also, I feel prepared to open up a sheep farm and, and, and work in that place too. <laughs> like, I got both of them out of this. But... The thing that jumped out to me is that these shepherds are constantly moving and they're constantly preparing things for their sheep. One of the stories that Keller tells is that he would go out and what shepherds do, they go out and they scout these pastures and these fields before their sheep ever get there. And they start by looking for poisonous weeds because sheep will eat anything and these poisonous weeds will kill them. And so they go and they find all these poisonous weeds and they just start pulling them out by hand until they eliminate all of them in the entire field. It's got to be an exhausting job just to sit. And I wouldn't even know what's poisonous and what's not. And they're know, they know what's poisonous. They know what will harm them because sheep are self-destructive creatures and they just remove them. The second thing that they do is they, they find holes. Sheep are dumb. Sheep will fall in holes. I actually watched way too much of a YouTube video this week. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Sheep just keeps going, falling in this hole, and they pick him up, and they pick, put him out, and he falls back in the hole. And it just keeps going over. You can guarantee if this were Sunday night youth, we'd be watching that video right now. But it's probably not appropriate for Sunday morning. They just keep falling in. But eventually, shepherds have to find these holes, and they fill them up because the sheep will fall in it every single time. And the third thing they look for is the possible place of a predator. The shepherds scouted out what predators are in the area. Where would they most likely strike from? How would they take down their prey? How would they create the stampede that's necessary? And then he would position himself between the predator and his sheep. See, the idea of preparing a table in the presence of my enemies isn't one of taunting. It's one of protection. The shepherd goes and looks out for his sheep and puts them in a place where they're going to be fed well, they're going to be protected from themselves falling in the holes, and they're going to be protected from an enemy that wants to destroy them. That's what Jesus, as the good shepherd, does for us. And we, we forget 
there's two sacrifices, I think, that with Jesus. We, we know the cross, and we're going to come back to that. But one of the things that we forget is that he gave up heaven initially to become one of us. That was a sacrifice from the start. He's a life marked by self-sacrifice, and he gives up heaven. He becomes one of us, and Jesus is a baby. He's a, he's a, he's a toddler. He's an adolescent. He's an adult. He's experienced all the things and more than we've experienced. He's, he's, he's had friends. He's lost loved ones. He's been betrayed. He's been lied about. He's been falsely accused. He's enjoyed weddings. He's had all the, both the, the positive and the negatives that we endure. He's gone through all of those things and then even more because he died a humiliating death on the cross. And I think one of the things that we have to ask ourselves when we think about a table being prepared for us in the presence of our enemies is do we know how much the table cost? We're going to take communion this morning in a little while. Do we know how much this cost God? Because a lot of times, I was reminded of this this weekend, a lot of times we think less of sin and because of that we think less of the cross. And we think less of the cross because we think less of sin. This was the most costly act of love and goodness that anyone could imagine. God prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies, and he did it with the life of Jesus. He did it with the cross, and that's how he prepares a table. This is costly. It's not just a symbol. It's not just a symbolic gesture. It's not just a ritual. This is an act of worship of a God that loves us so much that he prepared a way for us to be in permanent and eternal relationship with him. This is a big deal. And I want you to know that you have a God that loves you, and this is what he did to show that love. The second thing it says, it says, you anoint my head with oil. Again, in my mind, when I think of anointing oil, I think of the story of David being anointed by Samuel and becoming king. I think of you know, Jesus having his feet anointed by, by Mary. I think of those types of ideas. It's this set apart for a special person. But what I learned, again, about sheep is that sheep always have to be anointed because they got lots of pests and lots of diseases that they have to deal with. One of those being a nose fly. That's gross. It's, it, the, I had a picture. I had a slide. And I was like, it's not youth. Let's don't do it. <laughs> I did watch a video of this too. This is, don't watch it. But this, this video is ridiculous. Um, but these flies get up in the nose of a sheep and they just start irritating the sheep, and the sheep don't know how to get rid of it, and so they start ramming their heads against anything hard. Like, it's a tree, it's like, until they can get rid of these things. And a lot of times, these sheep do it so intensely and so much, they actually die sometimes from hitting their head against a tree because they don't know how to get rid of these nose flies. And so the shepherd comes along, and he takes olive oil, spices and sulfur and he mixes it up and he rubs it all over the face of the sheep up their nose and in their mouth and on their head and all these places so that the nose flies leave them alone if they have them they'll go away if they don't have them it prevents them from ever getting them so this anointing my head with oil is another act of protection by a good shepherd 
we're not unfamiliar with the sheep's situation. I get bogged down by so many minor things, and I make them into big things, and I end up smashing my head against something trying to figure it out till I have a headache, and I often forget that the Lord took care of that because he anoints me with his Holy Spirit. To deal with these things, we deal with them by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We can't work it out on our own. As great as all of you are, you can't work out all of these problems on your own. It's why New Year's resolutions fail. You can create as many behavior modifications that you want, and you might conquer one of those behaviors, but what ends up happening is we replace it with another bad behavior. The Holy Spirit daily filling us up protects us from getting caught up in all of these small things that become big things in our lives. It doesn't mean we won't experience negative things. What it means is we've been empowered to endure negative things. The shepherds anoint these sheep with this, with these nose, for these nose flies. The nose flies don't go away. They're still there. They just can't get in. And a daily anointing or filling of the Holy Spirit prevents the enemy from getting footholds in our life to lead us astray, to lead us in other places. He takes away the behavior that dishonors God and puts us in a place where we can honor him with our lives. It's also not this one-time experience. A lot of us say, I, was, I felt the Holy Spirit, and so I, I was baptized, and now I'm, I'm, I'm with Jesus. I'm following Jesus. And that's good, and that's, and that's right. But I think what this teaches us is that we have to constantly be anointed. We have to constantly be filled. We can't live off the fumes of a past decision we had to actively follow Jesus. And by following him, one of the things we do is fill me up every day. Give us today our daily bread. And that's, that's his presence in our lives. The third part of uh, verse, start of verse 6. Surely your love and your goodness will follow me. This, one is, the, this is the easiest one of these, of these messages because of you reading those other verses... You get to this point, it's like, yeah, why would it not? Because it has so far, right? He's led me by still waters. He's led me through to green pastures. He's walked me through difficult times. He has prepared a table for, in the presence of my enemies. He's, anoint, he's anointed me. Obviously, goodness and love will follow me for the rest of my days, but only if I'm actively following him. This isn't a salvation thing, so don't mishear me. Surely God's goodness and love will follow me means because I'm following this shepherd who's constantly and continually taking care of me. It's walking in step. It's following him in step like this. Not over here, not over here, and not at a distance, but it's step for step following Jesus. And what that means is I'll experience his goodness and love. It doesn't mean everything's going to be great. You will still experience hardship. The world, the, the world will still persecute you, but don't fear. He's overcome the world. And following Jesus is not easy. If anybody, that, that's the, the traditional bait and switch, right? If you follow Jesus, everything's great again. That's not true. If you're following Jesus, you will still experience hardship, but following Jesus is best. Because you're going to experience hardship regardless if you're following him or not. And so connected to the good shepherd, we can endure hardships. And surely his goodness and his love will follow me. It's all about perspective. 
There's no greater example of his goodness and love than right here. The communion table is an example of the goodness and the love of God. He loved you so much that he died for you, that he sent his son for you. What better can, what, how, how much better can it get? How much better can it get than himself, the self-sacrifice of Jesus for us? And the truth of it is, if we've experienced this and his goodness and his love, then we have a responsibility to give that away also. There's countless people in our community, in our city, and in this world that don't know the goodness and love of Jesus. They have no clue. They've never experienced it. Or they may say, My, I'm following, I, I was following Jesus, but this goodness and love thing you're talking about, I never really experienced that, so I left. That may be true because they've lost sight of the cross. We have a responsibility as little shepherds, not the good shepherd, we're following him. But as people who are following, we have a responsibility to, to give away the goodness and love that we've received from the Lord. Everyone we encounter. And you're going to have times where you're going to be in a great spot and you're like, hey, look at all this fruit of the goodness and love that I've had. And then you're going to say, ooh, I messed that one up. You're not perfect. You're not going to do it exactly right every time. It's okay. Keep trying. Because you're going to mess it up occasionally. Sometimes I mess it up all the time. Sometimes I think, I'm really good at this. And then I look up and I've messed it all up. And I'm like, it's because I put myself in front of him. It's in step following Jesus where we then receive goodness and love and we have a path of goodness and love in our wake. That's what it looks like to live in that place. Last. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, if you're one of these sheep, y'all know a ton about sheep now. You know how to protect them. You know how to take care of them. Why would they go anywhere else? Why would we leave? We know about Jesus. We've read this. We know what it says about him. We've all experienced it in our lives. Why would we ever leave? It can't get any better than that. And when he's talking about dwelling in the house of the Lord, he's not talking about living in the church or living in a temple. He's not talking about anything like that. He's talking about living continuously and constantly with the recognition of the presence of God. God's presence in our lives, not just in us, but also on us and around us, is living in the house of the Lord. I was listening to a, a, a podcast the other day. One of the pastors I was listening to, he said, I really want you pastors, he's giving this advice. I really want you pastors to stop inviting God into your presence in your church. He said, I want you all to start thanking him for his presence there to begin with because you don't have to give him an invitation. He's already there. What if we lived a life of thankfulness for God's presence in us and around us? What if we recognized it always that he's there? The presence of the Lord is constant and consistent. One of my favorite books is by an, it's called The Practice of the Presence of God. Some of y'all have read this before by Brother Lawrence. It's an older book. It's a, I love it. I read it a few times a year, all the time. It, it, it says something different. I have to like, rotate the books out because I highlight, and by, after a year, it's all highlighted, and it doesn't do me any good. But these books, this book, it just focuses on how do I practice being in his presence? There's an action that comes along with it. And what Brother Lawrence does is like in the worst place he can imagine, which is washing dishes in his monastery, he hated it intensely. He's like, how can I 
understand the presence of God in this moment. If I can do it here, then I can do it in my best place easily. But if I can see his presence when I'm doing the things that I don't love to do, that I feel like are just the mundane task of life, if I can experience his presence there, the experience everywhere else is just magnified even more. Dwelling in the house of the Lord is understanding that God's presence is with you all the time. So there's two responses to this, right? We've walked all the way through here. God has prepared this table for us. He's protected us from the enemy. The cost is great because it's, it, it's from the cross. And he's protected us. He's anointed us. He's created a way for us to be in constant relationship with him. And it needs a response. And I think there are two. One is this collective response. We as little shepherds have a responsibility to disciple others, to shepherd other people. There's a responsibility in us that we have to take care of people all the time that are walking with us. That's why these small groups exist. That's why that video is so important is because these are groups of people who've decided we're going to shepherd one another. And it doesn't matter how old you are, but it's a place of community, it's a place of challenge, it's a place of growth in our faith, and we need each other because like sheep, we'll try anything once a lot of times, even to our own destruction. We will actively choose out destructive behavior if we're not careful and we're not anointed. And we, have to, we, we need other people in our lives to hold us accountable to that, and that's what these small groups do. We have this responsibility because if not, these type of behaviors will spread. One of the diseases that uh, uh, Keller describes in his book that sheep get, it's called scab. Don't look that one up either. It's really gross. But they get these sores on their heads, and sheep are very community-focused animals, so they stay in their herd, and then they snuggle, right? They put their heads on each other, and this scab disease will spread through every one of these sheep until the whole herd is covered in them. And it takes a lot. they got to dip them in some type of solution. they got to put stuff on their head. And they have, to, they have to be very vigilant to keep that from entering into their, their herds. And so every time they have a new lamb, or maybe sometimes they buy new sheep, they bring these sheep in, and they're not really sure how this other shepherd took care of them. And so they got to be on the lookout for the scab disease to overwhelm and overtake their herd. It's very similar to what we have to do. This anointing is a protection from that, and we have to look out for these same things with our children, with our teenagers, and with other adults to collectively be a little shepherd and guide them through things. One of the things that we've done recently, or back in the fall, with our high school Bible study that we have on Wednesday nights, is we did this thing where we looked at TikTok theology. It's bad. And, and we got to address it because our kids are discipled more by TikTok than they are by anybody else. The average teenager spends 50 hours a week on TikTok. I don't even know how they do that in sleep. But we started looking at TikTok theology, and, and my group, uh, Autumn and Javon and Mallory and then Olivia over here, what they loved, we, we just, we'd look at a video, and then I would break it down for the kids and where it's, go, where it's wrong, and they, it became sport for them to see how angry they could get me with the videos they were sending. <laughs> Actually, just to be honest, Olivia sent me one right before I came up here, and she didn't know I was talking about this, I don't think. 
But it's, these are some ridiculous things that are on TikTok. And kids are looking, and they're like, well, it's actually a pastor. He calls himself a biblical scholar, so he must be telling the truth. And there's all this misinformation about gender and sexuality. And then there's this one that just absolutely drove me crazy. This one, this one guy, I don't know how you say his name. It's, he spells Brendan or Brandon weird. I don't know. Don't look him up. But... He goes on about Jesus and the Canaanite woman in Matthew 17. If y'all know that story, she comes up and asks for, for, to, to be with Jesus. And he says, this is for the lost sheep of Israel. Um, and she said, well, don't the dogs deserve the scraps from the table? And he's like, no. And then finally he says, your faith. And he gives it to her, right? Well, this guy took that passage and said, well, Jesus was a racist. And he needed forgiveness. And he modeled what it looks like to adapt to your culture in order to show forgiveness is necessary. What? That was the one that, made, that pushed me over the edge. We had to stop because I was getting too angry. But if there's just enough truth in that passage that for a, for a student, for a teenager who may or may not know a ton about the word, they can get caught in the trap because there's just enough truth and he's citing scripture. And one of the responsibilities as a collective response that we have as a church is to be on the offensive, not to be offensive, to be on the offensive that this is the word of God. This is important. It's not a book to be worshipped, but it is a book to be revered, and it's a book that gives us the voice of God so when we know it here, we can hear it when he speaks to us. We can recognize it in those moments. We can show our students and our children and other adults, hey, we might be getting a little bit off track here because that contradicts this, and this is the word of God. It's why David, one of the reasons why David, is David Eldridge, is challenging us to read the Bible this year. This has to get in us however possible because we have to know the word so we can protect one another. I believe that the church is under attack I believe that the truth is under attack. And I believe that a lot of times it's easier to read the Bible through a cultural lens than it is to see culture through a scriptural lens. But whatever the consequences are, the truth is the truth, and it's in here. But this new trend of I believe in Jesus, if you'll see it on TikTok, if you, if you go to TikTok, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in the Bible. That's, that's a new thing. That's a common thing that's out there. This guy, his name is Shane Pruitt. He's a guy that I follow um, and read his books and listen to his podcast. He says this about that type of trend going on in the church. He says, saying I worship Jesus but I don't believe the Bible is really saying I worship a Jesus that I'm comfortable with because I created him with my opinions, biases, and preferences. That's a fake Jesus. Anything we know about the real Jesus comes from the scriptures. Collectively, as little shepherds, we have this responsibility to take care of people. That goodness and love will follow us because of how intimately we're following Jesus. And that's the personal response. The second response is personally. Are you following Jesus or are you believing Jesus? I hesitated earlier to say this, but I think that there's a real difference. We've watered down that word belief, right? We believe things will happen. It's more, that's, we're more use it in a sense of hope. 
But there's a difference between a believer in Jesus and a follower in Jesus. A believer of who Jesus is and someone who is actively engaged in relationship. Two different things. If you remember back in Mark, when Jesus is coming across the demonic, the demon-possessed man, that demon says, I know who you are. You're the son of the Lord Most High. Demons even believe Jesus is who he is. But are we following him? Following is the distinguishing mark between a believer, a Christian, and a non-Christian. And I'm not talking, don't hear me, don't hear this wrong. I'm not talking about works-based salvation. God's grace alone saves us. That's it. But we experience God's grace as we follow him. His first invitation to the disciples wasn't believe. It said, follow me. And I just want to encourage you that following him equals being captivated. You want to change behavior. You want to change a lifestyle. You want to change what what you're doing. Self-help plans won't do it. Being captivated by Jesus will. And the only way to be captivated is to know him and follow him. And we do that through the word. We do that through prayer. We do that through worship. We do that in our small groups. To know him and follow him is the call. These sheep that we've been talking about, they know their master's voice. They trust that he has their best interest. And we are the same. We know his voice. We know that he loves us. Surely goodness and love will follow me for the rest of my days because we are dwelling in the house of the Lord. We're living and we're thriving in his presence. So this morning, what we're going to do to close is we're going to take communion. I want to encourage you that communion be this act of following Jesus today. So for me, there's, these, there's lots of practical things we can do, but for me, what works when I do it, which is not often enough, is to look in the mirror in the morning and say, today I'm following Jesus. To make a physical act and say it out loud and say, I'm following Jesus today. It helps me focus and it helps me keep this pre- his presence at the forefront of my mind. That's what works for me. You may have something else that works for you. Keep doing it if it's working. But one of the things we can do this morning as a group is say, this is my act that to, to show that I am following Jesus today. Don't, this doesn't count for tomorrow. Because I think it's a daily anointing. But to step in this place today, I'm following Jesus. And the symbol of that is to take this bread and dip it into this juice. Because this is an act of worship. Also, some of you may be sitting there thinking, this goodness and love that you're talking about, it hasn't been my reality. I've been following Jesus for a long time. And actually, I've experienced the opposite of goodness and love. If that's you... I just want to remind you that this is the ultimate sign of that goodness and love. The goodness and love isn't circumstantial. It doesn't depend on your circumstances. It's a a heart posture that's bent towards the presence of God, and we experience it then. And yes, you're going to go through circumstances that aren't great, that are hard, that are difficult. But the acknowledgement of the presence of his power in your life moves us through it at his pace, not our own pace. It walks us through the valley of the shadow of death in step with the shepherd. And so I'm going to invite the communion service, if you'll come forward, prayer teams, Bo. And we're going to close with this. And the way we take communion here, 
at Stone Bridges, you'll break off a piece of the bread, you'll dip it in the juice. Uh, we have gluten-free communion and the packets if, 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 you, if you want those. We're also going to have prayer teams up here. And if you, you're one of those folks that said, I've never really experienced this goodness and love that you're talking about, I want to encourage you to come forward and let these guys pray for you and encourage you and point you back to the cross so that you can say, oh, that's the goodness and love that I'm missing. Because that's, that, this is it. I've said this, I don't know how many times, but when I first became a Christian, I heard this sermon from a pastor. He said, if God never does anything else for you, he's already done enough because he saved you. And the cool thing about it is he also wants to give immeasurably more of himself. And so I want you to come forward as an act of following Jesus and take communion this morning. And again, if you're struggling with God hasn't been good to me, at least in my perspective, come to these prayer teams. Let them pray for you that you would experience God's goodness and his love. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful that you are the good shepherd. We're thankful that goodness and love are the marks of following you, God. And we're just, we just pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit. You would anoint us with your Holy Spirit. You'd fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we would be able to follow you through whatever comes, whatever happens to us, God, that we would follow you, be empowered by your Spirit, and that we would trust you and your voice in the midst of everything. And we would rely on you as our good shepherd, and we would follow you in step. I pray for those, Lord, that have never made that decision to follow you. They've never just, they're just, they're just holding back. I pray today, Lord, this would be this act this will be this moment for them that they would follow you they would learn to trust you they would hear your voice I pray Lord that as a group we would speak truth to one another that we would rely on your word and your scripture to seek a deeper relationship with you we love you Jesus amen for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 